Good morrow, dear listeners, and welcome back to Raging Romantics. If you are a hardcore romance nerd, well, you are in the correct place. We are happy to have you. Welcome back, and this week we are going to be talking about Regency Romance. Hey there, romance nerds! Welcome to another episode of Raging Romantics. I'm Jen. I'm Jackie. We are librarians at Northern Onondaga Public Library, and we are also romance nerds. Now, if you're wondering what this podcast is about, wait for it. Romance! Specifically, the romance genre of books. We are going to be talking about anything and everything having to do with romance. The genre, the tropes, anything and everything. So with that being said, sometimes our material will be a little too sensitive for younger readers. If you feel the need to wait until they go to bed, we will be here for you. We would also like to issue just a general trigger warning for some of the things that we do talk about. We will always try to issue specific trigger warnings for each episode so that you know what you're getting into. Now, without further ado, are you ready, Jen? Oh, I've been ready, Jackie. All right. Let's rage! have to look away because you can't look at me smirk at you yeah yeah (laughs) it's a theater thing i can't make eye contact with the audience (laughs) and that's like all i want is eye contact yeah no i can't i can't do that i have a hard enough time with eye contact all right all right hey jackie yes what kind of dinosaur writes romance novels what kind a brontosaurus Ah, um. You get it? I want to read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to read a dinosaur romance. Oh, that exists. I know it does. I just found some for somebody at the library. (laughs) Uh It sounds fun. But yeah. So before we begin our adventure into Regency history and romance, um, don't you have an update for people regarding Fifty Shades? I read it and survived. There we go. That's good enough. Because you also read Grey. A little less of a person, but I'm here. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I read gray and I read darker is the thing. So I didn't just stop at gray. I feel like I'm just going to be the 50s shade source now, which is not what that's I wanted fine. out of my life. But if that's what's on my obituary, that's what's on my obituary. <laughs> that's fine. I will be the Regency source. You can be the 50 shades source. <laughs> One needs much more therapy than the other, though. So I feel that's like I'm true. getting the short end of the stick. <laughs> This is true. But gray, this I will is... say gray was much better. Okay. I don't know why I'm saying that, but gray was surprisingly much better than the first Anastasia book. But okay. then darker was terrible and was much worse than the mm. second Anastasia book. So it ended up balancing itself out. And it was nice that Christian did not have an inner god. Yeah. He was pretty self-loathing, which was pretty sad, but <laughs> a lot of that annoying was gone. So I think that's why I liked it more. I've not seen the movies yet because I am not paying for Peacock. That's fair enough. I'm not, and I'm too lazy to set up my DVD player. That's okay. You can just rewatch Bridgerton's again. That would be much better. <laughs> <laughs> because like Bridgerton's, we needed a palate cleanser after last mm-hmm. month. 
and before next month's topic. Um, so we decided to jump into one of our favorite subgenres of romance, which is the Regency. I love it so much. It's just, I'm a history really nerd, fun. like hardcore history nerd, and I just got so excited. And I had to really tone down my history lecture for you guys. I hope you appreciate that. You're welcome. Can I tell you guys, she wrote like 20 pages of notes. <laughs> it wasn't. Okay, listen. <laughs> so this is the, the Jackie that has like held herself back a little bit and has some more self-control. Before we begin our discussion of Regency romance, I just want to set the scene for everybody really quick in case. Oh my God, please you- do. In case, like, they don't really know what Regency actually means. Because there's a broad definition. It's a very broad definition, I will Mm -hmm. admit. And I feel like pretty much anything Mm -hmm. that's British that has the feeling of, like, post-American Revolution but pre-1900s usually gets labeled as Regency, which is false. Oh, no. Man, I've been corrected. I know. Yeah. So, shame on you. No, I'm kidding. It's okay. It's it's a confusing time period. I understand. So please clear it up for us, Jackie. I would love to hear all about the Regency period. Okay. Within reason. Well, to begin with... (laughs) Okay, fine. So to begin with, the Regency, the term Regency just refers to any time where there's not an actual monarch on the throne, where there's just an acting monarch. So there have been multiple Regencies all throughout history, multiple regents, and they can be either a king or a queen. It doesn't have to necessarily be just a king. So... This, when we talk about a Regency romance, what we're referring to explicitly is the Regency period of England when George, Prince of Wales, was named Prince Regent between 1811 and 1820. So nine years is all we're talking about. So this is a period of nine years. Yeah. That's kind of crazy that we've had this amazingly popular subgenre of romance that really only took place within a nine-year period. The I'm trying to picture that, like, in the 2010s or something. Right. Like, it, it is kind of mind-blowing. It is. And it's 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 a little crazy to think of that that's just the technical Regency. But there is a bit of a leeway when it comes to defining something as Regency. Okay. Because even though the actual, mm-hmm. like, reign of the Regency, of the Prince Regent, was nine years long, there is kind of this larger feel of a regency i guess you could say of what the period itself meant Mm -hmm. from the time really of the start of the french revolution in 1789 all the way up through george the fourth when he was finally monarch when he died in 1830 and the signing of the great reform act in 1832 which kind of changed how parliament worked so during this time period Mm -hmm. what it meant to be british and what it meant to be a british citizen really changed because there was this growing feeling of anti-Frenchness. <laughs> because at this point in time, nobody wanted to associate themselves with the French. Mainly because they were getting their heads chopped off. In case you weren't aware. <laughs> and so the British court really withdrew itself from associations with France. Not only because of the French Revolution, but then we had the Napoleonic Wars from 1803 to 1815, and that was between England and France, and obviously nobody in England wanted to be an ally of France because they're at war with each other, right? Right, cool. So, what it meant to be British during the Regency period 
was mm-hmm. you kind of shucked off this um, this opulent French style. Think of like the big fancy wigs that Marie Antoinette is known for, or Charlotte, Queen Charlotte in Bridgerton's, the big fancy wigs she wears, the really opulent gowns, the um, gold and silver buttons, or just like, I don't know, all these crazy things. The Regency was not tame by any any way of speaking. But it really kind of shucked off this um, foreign feel and started really growing in stellarity and British sense. So things like fashion, art, culture, landscape architecture, gardening, science, all of this stuff completely bloomed for about a period of, what, 40, 50 years? I do have to ask, yeah. though, did this come totally from within Britain, though? Or was this because they had um, colonies all over the world and they were importing things? So... Like, how much credit can Britain, like, the English really take for this bloom without, like, some of the imperialism they had? So, the this was a time period of growing imperialism, definitely, but not quite so much as it was in the Victorian era, which follows on the heels of the Regency era. So, the Regency okay. era ends mm-hmm. in, um, so the larger Regency ends with the death of George IV in 1830. There's a seven-year period where his... Um, his successor reigns. So, and then in 1837, Queen Victoria Mm -hmm. takes the throne. So, and it was under Victoria's reign where colonialism and imperialism really like grew. And that's when we start seeing this even bigger growth of British power and like British ego, Mm -hmm. I guess we can say. (laughs) But during the Regency, yes, there was, yeah, they, they started getting really big heads. There was um, some having to do with imperialism and colonialism, but not as much as the Victorian era. So this was the period when they started dressing in much more simple, quote unquote, country fashions. So a gentleman, if you think mm-hmm. of what a Regency gentleman, so somebody oh. on Bridgerton's looked like, you know, they had a simple, simple-ish um, dress coat, waistcoat. Um, one shirt underneath and then they had breeches instead of trousers their buttons were like bone or Mm -hmm. brass instead of silver and gold unless they were going to like a very fancy party and the women shucked off uh well they still still sometimes had paneers but they shucked off like those Mm -hmm. really tight constricting dresses and instead they started wearing muslin walking dresses and bonnets and all this sort of like really more simple things and if, by the way, if you guys are really interested in like Regency fashion and all that sort of stuff, there's an account called Astra Darling on Instagram and she remakes period pieces and she is amazing. I'll link her in the show notes for you because she's super oh, cool. cool and I love her and she's really nice. And- yeah, please do. Cause, yeah. Because just as you're talking, I'm trying to picture what the differences would be. Yeah. Because it still feels like in all the Regency books we read, it's still so opulent. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to picture what the like the French must have been compared to then. So that's for that to be pared down. Yeah. So if you can in your brain, think of the movie Marie Antoinette. You got that in your head? The movie version. Yeah. I'm and then of- compare it to what you in my brain. Jane Austen. Put those two side by side. Oh, yeah. so oh, that's gotcha. that's what okay. we're talking that's about, fair. like the. French opulence versus the British simplicity. And that's not to say, like I said, that the Regency Mm -hmm. wasn't opulent because it did get known for its parties, its balls. I mean, that's what we love Mm -hmm. about Regency romance. It's the glitz and the glamour, but it's still like a a Mm -hmm. comfortable glitz and glamour, I guess you could say is a way of saying it. Mm -hmm. And we owe this idea. It's not enough to get them beheaded. No, no. 
Um, we owe this idea completely to the king, uh, or well, the prince regent, excuse me, George the Fourth. He was a true gentleman of the time. If you picture the ideal regency gentleman, that would be the dandy king himself, George the Fourth. He was known for spending, for overeating, for partying, for doing all these things. He had a lot of mistresses too, and he liked to like flout everything that happened under his father's reign. Um, so when he was named the regent, he was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, he was like, I, I don't want to be known as the farmer king. Like my father was, I am the party king. Whoop, whoop. Um, and he just like, mm-hmm. that's kind of what led the ton who are the upper two, like upper two, three classes of society, the ton, T-O-N into what we know as the regency today. Yeah. Okay. And before we continue, I do just want to give a little aside um, for history nerds like me as to why George the Fourth, as he would become, was named Prince Prince Regent in 1811 to begin with. So his father, George the Third, whom you might recognize as the guy that Americans went to war with in 1775, <laughs> um, he was oh he was also played by Jonathan Groff in Hamilton. If that rings a better bell, yeah, he was known for his lifelong issues with mental health. Um, It was diagnosed that he had porphyria in the 1860s. Of course, this was postmortem because he died in 1820. Um, And porphyria is a disease that affects the hemoglobin of your blood, which could then um, further affect your nervous system and both muscle control and cognition. However, now... Scholars believe that he, George III, um, who was the technical monarch during the Regency, was uh, he, that he suffered from bipolar disorder, BPD. Of course, BPD wasn't used as an official diagnosis for anything until 1980, so he wouldn't have been diagnosed with BPD at the time. However, he suffered from lifelong cases of manic depression. He would have the classic, you know, he'd be manic one day and then he would be depressive the next. And during these instances where he did go into manic depressive states, he would, George III, during his reign, would retreat to the Palace of Q, K-E-W. And this would leave Parliament without really a figurehead to make decisions who would act as the monarch for them. And so finally, in 1810, George III suffered what is known as the Second Great Madness, um, where it actually left him almost completely blind and he had cataracts in his eyes. So this was when Parliament finally said, okay, yeah, no. He, George III, was declared incapable of ruling, and the Regency Act was passed in 1811, February 15th, I believe, 1811, and George IV, George III's son, there's a lot of Georges, I know, that's why it's called the Georgian period, (laughs) Um, George IV was named Prince Regent in 1811, and that was why we had the start of the Regency period, and why George IV was not crowned until 1820, because George III, his father, who suffered most likely from BPD, died in 1820. And there's the end of your fun little history lesson for the day. So, but it is really interesting too at the same time because what we, or what the romance reader thinks of a regency is really divested from what it actually would have looked like according to historical research. And we'll talk about that a little later when we talk about what's maybe wrong with regency romance. 
But while we think of all these, like I said, parties and British sense of style and, you know, landscape architecture was changing places like Brighton was being built up. Um, at the same time, there was a completely destitute lower and middle class because of the wars, because of the Industrial Revolution that was um, creating kind of a toxic atmosphere, but also creating this huge gap gap between the rich and the poor it's it's interesting to see so can we talk a little bit about why then we perceive agent regency period to be just white and parties and horseback riding and fancy stuff oh, i would love to were there uh were there some people involved that maybe yes pushed that narrative this is when we start seeing the regency romance novel it was a contemporary Whoa. novel of the time. I know, wild. And the person the person we have to thank for this is, of course, the queen herself, Jane Austen. Round of applause. She had a lot of help. She did. Though. She really did. She did have a lot of help. Yeah. So she, if, if you don't know who Jane Austen is, then I can't I mean, help you. Get out of the room. I really. <laughs> <laughs> you. Leave your house. You tomorrow. need to. You, I don't know. Not during quarantine. Yeah. Um, so Jane Austen, she wrote, obviously, these romances, which I still consider a romance today, even if they don't feature like yeah. sex or anything like that. It's still a relationship novel. It's a romance. And she wrote about her mm-hmm. peers who were the upper middle class. Um, they were like the gentry, the peerage. They were maybe down and out nobility. Mm-hmm. And she in turn inspired a woman of the 20th century who started the <laughs> Regency romance trend, Miss Georgette George Hire. Hire. Hire, however you want to say it. Whatever, Hire, Hire. Do you want to tell Whatever. us? I don't particularly like her, so I'm not going to give her the benefit of the last That's name fine. saying. That's fine. I looked a lot into Georgette Hare. You have probably heard that name before if you are a big Regency romance nerd like us, because she is someone who really popularized the idea of this subgenre of romance and made Regency a very popular and a very lucrative genre to write in. Yeah, so she started writing in 19... Well, she she published her first one in 1921. Yeah, so she... She was born in the early 1900s. She came from a very literary family, was very encouraged to write, and wrote her first novel at 17 in 1921. However, she'd had money problems her entire life, and she found that she could make a ton of money selling detective novels. And she had such... She built up a huge research library all on her own of Regency era fashion, fiction, what people would have said, how they would have acted. And she did focus on the upper echelons because they were fun to write about, I think. And she was a 1920s girl. She was a flapper herself, I like to imagine. And she... For a little bit. Not very long. She probably really wanted to focus on opulence and parties. I think, too, she was born into upper middle class and she was very, very very about class and structure and i mean she had these beautiful details and very lush writing and she had such an expansive world but it was a very narrow world that she held and to this day that's really what we focus on or i would say up until recently that's what regency has focused on was the world that georgette Mm hire 
based because yeah. when romance really started emerging as a genre in the 1970s and 1980s, people looked back – or writers looked back on Georgia Hare's work, mm-hmm. and that was like the gospel, the gospel mm-hmm. of Hare. This was how yeah. you wrote. This was how people acted. This was what they do. And it created this yeah. world building, which Tessa Dare labeled it perfectly. It's fanfic. It's not a real Regency historical. Don't read it yeah. for that. I've always liked it because she set the scene. She made the the play box. And then everybody else just makes whatever characters they like. And it very much mirrors whatever era you're in when you write your own Regency yeah. novels. So some of the fun things that she... Oh, not fun. So some of the things that she did that everybody knows is things like the London mm-hmm. season. Every Regency novel focuses yeah. on the London season. And if you're confused about what mm-hmm. the season is, it's simple. It is when Parliament is in session, which... Or was in session, sorry. Oh, which was okay. typically between, like, October, November up through June with breaks for the holidays and winter. So the Christmas and New Year. And then again, in Easter, there would be breaks for Lent or not Lent. They weren't Catholic, but they would break for Easter. And this was when everybody converged on London, a.k.a. the town. Whenever they refer to the town with a capital T, that's London, London town. And mm-hmm. there would be parties and balls. This was when debutantes would come out. So whenever you hear it, they came out to society. They're having their debut. They're coming out. They're putting yep. themselves on the marriage market. They're going to get married. Yeah, which is the marriage market is mm-hmm. another big thing. And I hate that term. I hear. I know. it's, it's It sucks. But it's. It was kind of coined during the time because it was all these young girls putting themselves out into this market type atmosphere at balls and at parties and at social gatherings and making themselves available for marriage and their mamas making them available Mm -hmm. for marriage. (laughs) <laughs> Which it, it's a sucky idea, it really mm-hmm. is, but it's really interesting during this time period because women started having a little bit more autonomy in choosing their own matches. They didn't have perfect autonomy, no, not at all. But if you've seen Bridgerton's, the scene where like yeah. she drops her fan in front of the prince at the ball, this was pretty much like her declaring to the prince, mm-hmm. I want to date you, I want to maybe be considered for your wife and the prince by Mm. picking it up was acknowledging yeah okay i see you i see you girl i like you let's dance (laughs) and then they almost got engaged so that's the idea Mm. of a marriage market so while Hare did all of these amazing world building things some of the tropes too that we see today were very much popularized by Hare, but then they've slowly been building through the the decades until we've come to some of our favorites today mm-hmm. jen do you want to should we name some of our favorites for the listeners just to give them a taste oh my god i would absolutely love to do that do you want to know one of my favorite things ever yes in regency yes i love one of the ones that's like all right, I need to learn from you so I can be a better husband or I can be a better lover or I can be a better whatever. And then we will part ways and I will get my real spouse until, oh no, I fell in love with you, but you don't know it's serious. Ah! AKA, oops, I caught feelings. <laughs> Those, Those are, are good. Can you, can you like name two titles that fit that trope? One of my favorites, and we were going to go back and forth to Sarah McLean a lot, is One Good Earl Deserves a oh, Lover. Yes. He's a rink. She's a scientific woman who wants to know all about the mechanics behind lovemaking before she gets married. Love it. So he teaches her. 
he's not supposed to catch feelings, and yet... He does. So many feelings. I love it. So many feelings. I love it. What about you, Jackie? What's one of your favorites? <gasps> okay, so one of my favorites, and it's something that will only ever happen and only ever make sense in, like, a Regency or Regency-esque romance, is the, oh, no, we got caught in the bushes closet together. I love it. <gasps> so scandalous. I know, because it's, like, in real life, I mean, so the, <laughs> so the Regency <laughs> – obviously was or not obviously but the regency was a time of like strict social etiquette like unmarried women had a chaperone they did not go out into the bushes with men to talk on their own they did not do that and in real life probably Mm -hmm. if this happened they wouldn't have had to get married immediately but in a regency romance novel we know the second they go out into the conservatory to chat quote unquote they're gonna get married stuff is gonna go down and i love it in real life it yeah no in real life if you catch me in the bushes with somebody you just make fun of me for the next year yeah no i love it but one of my i do not have to go get married so i actually want to run away but i don't have to run away so i actually have two favorite titles that go in this but they're in the same series so i'm going to count them as one and this is sally mckenzie's naked nobility series the first one is the naked earl where they're at a house party, which is also something that's really popular in Regency romances. So they're at a house party, and he, I can't remember if he's, like, fleeing a clingy lover, or if he's changing and a clingy lover, like, walks in on him, and he escapes, because he doesn't want to ca- get caught and have to marry her. So he's naked, and he runs out the window, yeah. and he's, like, climbing along the edge of the building completely naked, and he, like, walks into the hair or like falls into the heroine's bedroom and she's like in her nightgown ready for bed and she screams because a naked man is falling through her window obviously she's gonna scream and everybody in the house party runs into her room because they're worried about her and he's naked she's in her nightgown they're like well now you got to get married that's it and the other favorite one in that series is the naked gentleman which is fun because it plays with like the scientist's character so he's a scientist he doesn't want to get married but he'll get married just to like get everybody off his back and she just wants to know what kissing is (laughs) like she just so she really wants to like rate the degree of kissing and like how different people kiss so she is at a party and she lures all these men (laughs) into the conservatory to make out with them (laughs) And one of them is See, the I think hero. that's what I love about Regency. Yeah. Because if that happened legitimately in Regency, she'd get sent to an insane asylum. Oh, yeah. But now we just get to enjoy like the ridiculous circumstance I love with it. the backdrop of the Regency. I love it. What's one of your other favorite tropes? Uh, so I guess this is a little basic. Like, I'm sure Nicholas Sparks would make fun of me. But I really love the spinster that gets the man that no one else mm, can get. So good. Or, like, the reformed rake. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, like, the woman who's been put on the... It's just she's so old at 23 that she has no chance whatsoever. Mm. So she might be somebody who's independently wealthy or she's just super into science or reading or she's got other interests other than marriage. So a lot of times she might just be like, all right, let me just get rid of my virginity because what the hell am I holding on to it for? <laughs> or it might be something like Intessa Dare say yes to the Marquise. Marquise. She's been engaged for years. Whatever. I, nobody knows how to pronounce this. <laughs> Fine. Say yes to the Marquise. She's been engaged for years, but he never steps up to actually marry her. So she's like, screw you. Runs off to go do her own thing. And his brother is like, uh-uh, you got to marry my brother. <laughs> Ends up falling for her instead. It's great. Yeah, that we so 
we so ship funny. Tessa Dare. Any Tessa, Tessa Dare, we will read uh-huh. like that. Hey, do you want to know something fun, Jackie? What? I got to meet Tessa Dare. Like, I got to talk to her face-to-face in a real room before quarantine. That's awesome. Like, I got to see her phone. Ugh. Goals. <laughs> Life goals. <laughs> That's why I'm cooler. Okay. One person. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So one of my other favorites, and this is the last one I'll name, is the trope of I have to marry to maintain my estate and I'm not happy about it. And that is because I love a grumpy hero. It is like my favorite. But I actually, so a title that does this really well, and I actually just read this this past week, it's the Wicked Highlanders series by Suzanne Enoch. And the titles are Chef's Kiss. The first one is It's Getting Scott in Here. Love it. (laughs) And the one, so the third one that actually just came out recently, and I just kind of went out and bought it, is Drop It Like It's Scott. So it's a trilogy, and in it, the three brothers, their three Scottish brothers, have to go to London because their mom, their estranged mother, is British, and she holds the purse strings, and she dictates that if you guys want to inherit anything, you have to come see me in London, and you have to marry English brides. And it's just... It's hilarious. Hmm. When they show up in London, they have bagpipers <laughs> that are like serenading them as they walk <laughs> through the streets and as they pull up to the townhouse. And then they have a pet stag mascot. So it's like a stuffed stag. It's it's uh, it's so good. It's so funny. And I love it so much. Mm-hmm. And they're all grumpy about it. So it's great. What kind of what other authors do you suggest then? Because I know for me, I can't necessarily always fit Amanda Quick under these categories, mm. but I love a good vintage Amanda Quick. Yeah. Elise, Eloisa James, yes. Tessa Dare, always. Mm. Always and forever. That's forever. Yes. Um, forever and ever. Um, let's see. Christina Dodd has really good historical for me. Courtney Milan does some good ones. Mm. And then we're actually going to be reading her next time, but Vanessa Riley um because neither jenna and i have ever read her but she writes inclusive historical romances which is great and we'll get to talk about that in just a minute and why that's so important but i will go ahead and i can link um some other like authors that we recommend in the show notes so if you want to read more definitely do that and then also there's a really good podcast called faded mates which is hosted by sarah mclean uh and she just did an episode with i can't remember who she did it with but they did an episode where they talk about they literally do just an hour of book recommendations if you like certain tropes and bridgertons so i will make sure to link that one too because that's fun so that leads us now that we kind of know what regency romances look like right i mean kind of not really but kind of we'll pretend we do um why jen do you think Regency romances are so popular. I mean, at least for me, I love that. I love the setting of it. Mm -hmm. I love having the setting of the balls and the ridiculous historical situations. And it really takes me out of my own era. But I will say I like it specifically because I have the setting of the Regency, but it's with characters that I recognize today. Yeah. Because as much as I like the balls and the fanciness and the glitz and the glam, I don't necessarily want to read about a hero that thinks it's a, that would act like the hero of his time. 
Yeah, no, it's it's kind of that anachronistic feel almost that we'll talk about in a second. But it's, like we said, Regency romance is more of, like, fanfic than accurate Regency history. Right. <laughs> and it's really it fun. accurate. Yeah. I mean... It can be. It's not necessarily that, like, the history is made up, but definitely the, the reactions to people are probably a little made up. And there were not going to be as many love matches. No. I mean... Things like that didn't necessarily happen. And this was only a period of nine years. And it was very a very crazy, tumultuous time. Um, I've read a really good review that, um, you know, for all of Jane Austen's amazingness, Pemberley's on the verge of being burned down by the angry peasants outside. Yeah. Yep. Also, there were only 28 dukes in reality yeah. that were running around during this time period. And yet every single book has an eligible duke in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there were not that many dukes. I, I read somewhere that a duke, in the Regency novels is like a billionaire in today's yeah. yep. contemporary. You know, it's like a parallel thing. Yeah, that's a good parallel. Um, so obviously mm-hmm. there aren't as many as people might think. Mm-hmm. I really just love the fact that it is so escapist and it's so fun. And I pick up a Regency mm-hmm. and I know it's going to have some sassiness. It's going to have some good banter. There might be a little steam There's not going to be a lot of, like, life or death situation. It's going to be usually on the lighter side of things. I will say, when we were talking and thinking about it, I realized there isn't really a dark Regency Mm. book. I mean, there kind of is in KU, and there's, like, some exceptions to the rule. But the most of it is, like, a very safe, mainstream, fun novel. It's not, like, you're not going to really see Fifty Shades in Regency world. So with one or two exceptions. We're actually going to pick up one of the exceptions for next time or something yes. that like starts going into <laughs> the exceptions because Jen has never read it. And so it's yeah. obviously going to be a lot of fun to see what she thinks about that side of Regency. I sat down and I counted all the Regencies I've read. I've read like 78. Wow. And this one I have not read. So I will say I've read a very narrow view of Regency and I am very excited to kind of – um expand that out a little bit and try some new stuff and yeah. see where the Regency world is going because it's definitely expanding and it's definitely being changed by new authors today and it's not I mean Hayer definitely established the sandbox but it's being rebuilt all the time that is such a good segue into the final part of our discussion today Jen thank you Try it. love it so that brings us to some of the issues with Regency romance because as fun as it is as sassy as the heroines can get and as awesome as a reformed rape can be, we need to talk about the white elephant in the room that is <laughs> the um, lack of diversity and the lack of so crazy white. Yeah, economic representation. Anybody but crazy rich people, yeah. Yeah. So. I don't even know how to start this. Let's start. This is probably like the only trigger warning of the entire episode. I won't lie. And it's not even like a big trigger warning because we need to have these discussions, especially in the romance sphere in romance landia. Um, Mm -hmm. so Bridgerton's the TV series in case you haven't seen it yet did get a lot of flack because it incorporated characters of color and it specifically kind of created this alternate history timeline where Queen Charlotte, who was most likely truly biracial in real life, 
or multiracial in real life, where in the TV show, she created this alternate universe where after slavery or slave trade was abolished in England, um, she allowed or she made it so that people of color could assume noble titles and noble roles. And so that's how Duke of Hastings, Simon, was able to be a black character. And this got a lot of flack from people who mm-hmm. said, quote, unquote, this is performative diversity. This would never actually happen. There were no black people in England. What are you talking about? I'm like, listen, Linda. <laughs> no, no, no. There were definitely black no. people in England. There were a lot of people in England. There were. First off, of course, we had the slave trade, which is a terrible part of history, but we need to acknowledge it and we need to talk about it. In 1807, the trading and capturing of slaves was abolished in the British Empire and all of the colonies the entirety of the British Empire, 1807. So this was the start of the Napoleonic Wars, right? Um, this, however, didn't stop the selling and reimportation of those already enslaved, but it was easier for former slaves to become free within the British Empire, and they could start, they could be merchants, they could start gaining wealth, and you do actually see a lot of notable historical figures that become barristers, that become merchants, that become sailors, and they... Um, especially in the Napoleonic Wars, there was the Black Count. I can't remember his name. I'll have to put it in the show notes. And there's a really good book about him that I own, actually. But so they were able to make their start making their way into society. And then in 1833, we had the Slavery Abolition Act where every single part of slavery all throughout the British territories was ended. And all the slaves are freed and all owners are paid mm-hmm. reparations via parliament. So completely abolished 1833 which as we know is at the tail end of the regency period so vanessa riley who is an author that we're going to read next time actually she did the math and she looked at a lot of like um uh, surveys and uh what's the word i'm looking for where go out i don't know where you're going it's what we had to do last year at the start of before covid what is it the census. The census, yeah. So she looked at censuses census. and polls and all that sort of stuff. And she did the actual math. And there were somewhere between 100,000 and 200,000 people of color just in England alone. Hmm. Which is more than the actual okay. gentry. So they outnumbered the gentry. <laughs> okay? Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I will say that Jane Austen was starting to make a move somewhat she was still she also still had very white characters i will say she was homegirl was white and but in sanditon which is um came out in 1817 so middle of the regency she included um miss lamb who was a jamaican i believe heiress and in her novel everybody wants to marry miss lamb and she is like she is the diamond of the first water of that regency (laughs) and Mm -hmm people ignored her race her suitors ignored her race in favor of her money because they wanted her money they didn't care about her skin color which you know says a lot about capitalism but i know a lot of people would probably yell at us and be like you can't blame these authors they're just writing the world they saw and they weren't exposed and you know you can't we're judging by like 21st century standards values on these things but I think a lot of people are very resistant sometimes to letting Regency grow and to letting us tell these different kinds of stories and put it out there that hey these people did exist they were around they lived they had lives together I know you told me that one statistic about interracial marriage and that was like a little thing in my brain because I was like I just assumed it was illegal like in uh, the states honestly yeah up until like the 1950s whenever loving happened 
So it's just kind of, it's sad that so much of our interpretation of these periods are just based totally on pop culture that had such a narrow, narrow starting point. And it was just dumb luck that Georgette Heyer made so much money off all, off all these books. And that's what became the, the gospel. The gospel, yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's sad to me. And I just was struck by that as you were talking. And that's why I lost my place. You know, that, that's a perfectly <laughs> good point of at this point in time, it's, oh, no, that didn't actually happen. That's not, you know, all that. But at this point, we are pretty much engendered to believe that it was all white. There were no interracial couples. There were more dudes than there were black people on the streets Mm -hmm. or people of color because of novels like Georgette Heyer, which started fan fiction. They started a world that wasn't, Mm -hmm. I mean, while based on true and accurate historical events, was its own alternate universe of reality that didn't incorporate all views. Because as we'll learn next time, Georgette Heyer wasn't the best person. She was super elitist, pretty anti-Semitic, yeah. uh, did some shady business stuff. She was not, I don't, I know people love her books and people still love her books today because they can be very witty and clever. And I mean, they appreciate that the heroines weren't always these meek little misses, but I mean, you got to move on. We got to invite new people in and new kinds of stories. And we got to look beyond the bounds of what we already know. One last point that I do want to bring up before we end this discussion. Actually, I have two points. So the next one, the other issue that I really have with Regency is that it lacks economic diversity in its stories. Because like we said, it is very white. It is also very rich. And we constantly see these stories about heiresses and dukes and martial nieces and like Mm. people going to balls and wearing diamonds. And really... I did the math. I found um, – so, again, I think Vanessa Riley actually posted this. She found a statistic and uh, a census from 1814 that broke everybody down by social class. And I did the math for you. I will put it in the show mm-hmm. notes so that you can see. But the top two classes, which are really the classes that we're talking about, so the nobility and the peerage, and sometimes the gentry, which was part of, like, Jane Austen's social class, we talk about the 1% all the time. The – these three classes yeah. were 0.78% of the entire British population in England at the time. Less than 1%. Is that kind of our fault, though? How do you mean? Is that kind of our fault, though? For Because just thinking back of our whole conversation, the stuff we love about Regency is the fancy stuff and mm. the balls and the, the dresses and the money. And those people are not going to have those things. So, again, like... I think we need to change and um, open our minds to what other kind of stories can be told in the Regency period so that we are interested in a a middle-class love story. Yeah. Or somebody who maybe, like, works for the family instead of is the family. I think it'd be really interesting to see. Yeah, I like that. I wonder how much of that is our fault because that's the stuff we're buying. Be smart consumers. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's good because next time we're going to read some stuff that isn't typical Regency. So I'm excited for that just to kind of see – if maybe we can start exploring different sides of what a Regency romance looks like and I'm go ahead. I'm really excited for the future of Regency. Yeah. Like just thinking about it and all the stuff we've been talking about, I think with people like Courtney Milan and Vanessa Riley and Kat Sebastian, I mean, we're really opening up the kinds of stories we can play with in the Regency period. And I think the future is bright. 
I'm not saying Bridgerton is necessarily responsible for what I think is going to come in that trend, but I do think they proved that it's going to be really profitable. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. Parallel Georgia Hayer perfectly since she proved this was profitable too, and Bridgerton proves that uh, what was it, 76 countries was number one in. Yeah, 76 countries. Yeah, I, feel like I think we're going to be seeing a lot of Bridgerton knockoffs. Yeah. I'm fine with that. So I'm excited for the stuff that's coming. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. And we will keep updated and we will tell you all about the books that are coming. And that brings us to next time's discussion. We're going to read <gasps> three Regency books, like I said, that aren't. Okay. So we're going to read a Georgia Hare because neither Jen or I have ever read it and we need to know what's going on and what all yeah. the fuss is about. <sighs> We should know where we came from so we can see where we're going. Exactly. And then we're going to read two kind of off-brand Regencies. We're going to read a Vanessa Riley, which features an interracial couple. Very excited. And then I'm making Jen read one of my personal favorites, Kate Pierce, who <laughs> wrote a series. So this is the Fifty Shades yes. Regency. This is, it's called the House of, House, House of Pleasure series, and it's set in a brothel, a BDSM brothel in Regency mm. England. I'm so excited. That's crazy. It's going to be great. I definitely would not see that in an Amanda Quick or no. a Tessa Dare, no. necessarily. Like, it might be a stage, but they wouldn't necessarily, like, be there. No, we're going erotica. We're doing it. It's going to be exciting. All right. So. I hope you guys pick these books up. I don't think all of them are available at the library. Mm. We don't have the Kate Pierce. No. So that one you'd have to buy Like, find it used. But we definitely have the Vanessa Riley on Hoopla, and we've got all the Georgia hairs as well on overdrive and Tessa Dare, obviously. But um, as always, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, want to know, or just want to have a discussion, you want to talk to me and Jen, just give us an email at ragingromantics at gmail.com. Live your own Regency fan fiction, guys. Send us missives. Yes. Be like, I listen to your amusing stories. See, that could be you. That could be. It could be. We could have a, a, a flirtatious thing. Jackie could send you images of flowers and you have to flower read. I could send you pictures of horses and you could figure out what face the horse is making. Is that a Regency thing or is that a you thing? Me thing. <laughs> fully <laughs> admit that. Um, okay. I think we should end on that note. What do you say, Jen? I feel pretty good about this. I hope you guys felt good about this and I hope you join us for her our next discussion all right guys jen what do we always say rage on all right guys bye